0: interviewing the leading private equity executives and unlocking the secrets of success. Welcome to the Private Equity Podcast with Alex Rawlings. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Raw Selection Private Equity Podcast. Joining us today is Pranav Garg, founder of Peak Margins and previously a director of Alvarez & Marshall Private Equity Performance Improvement Division. Welcome and thank you very much for sharing your insights. So hello everybody. My name is Pranav Garg. I'm the founder
1: and CEO of Peak Margins. Peak Margins is a company founded to help middle market companies achieve profitable growth, principally by turning their ERP data into sticky and incremental EBITDA. So just in terms of my career, I've had about a 23 year career split across both consulting and as an industry operator. So from the consulting standpoint, I have worked with two companies, predominantly, R3D Little, which is a strategy consulting firm, where I started my career 24 years ago actually. And Alvarez and Marseille, where I was most recently a senior director in their private equity performance improvement uh, division. On the industry side, I worked for a division of a large food company called Bungie. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Bungie, I joke that Bungie is largest, least known company in the world. It's a global Fortune 500. I was a strategy head and CFO for their Latin America division and had the opportunity to lead them through a significant period in growth and the profit expansion. So that's my background
0: and the pleasure to be here. Perfect. What's one mistake that you see private equity firms or portfolio companies making and what actions would you suggest to correct them, please?
1: Yeah, so just by way of context, you've heard the phrase... Data is the new oil, and I truly believe in that. And as we both know, uh, private equity is one of the most intensely data-focused and the data-centric uh, stakeholders that you will find. Despite that, uh, one of the things that has perplexed me and always bothered me that led to the creation of peak margins is that uh, for all the emphasis on profitable growth, The pursuit of profitable growth has a huge data problem. Uh, And what is that problem? Well, firstly, if you think about profitable growth, profitable growth has the word profit in it. And if you think about what any business, particularly a portfolio company, owned by private equity, is all about at the atomic level. The business is about a product A, sold to a customer B in territory or region C. So think about any business which can be unpacked really into uh, atomic units at that level. And the uh, rec- realization that I reached uh, after many, many years and over 23 uh, companies that I worked with uh, that were private equity owned was that uh, I am yet to see uh, a single port goal that has really cracked that problem. And the impact of not solving that problem, which is the lack of visibility of an understanding of profit at the atomic level, is huge. Because you think about a typical private equity-owned company, you know, you have typically a platform investment uh, or an anchor investment. You have multiple bolt-ons. From a data perspective, you might have two ERPs, three ERPs, multiple sets of uh, data that don't really, are not apples to apples. So it, it is a huge data problem. Uh, what I find is that private equity operating teams often end up spending insane amounts of time really getting their arms around the data, right? And and they do it in a way that often is bespoke for that company. It's, it's not scalable or repeatable. and And at the end, you still have uh, tremendous gaps in terms of letting the company pursue profitable growth by really understanding the levers that, that drive profitability and that can lead to profitable growth. So that, that is still a, a huge problem. And that's what we
0: are trying to solve. So if I, I'm pretty confident if I spoke to any private equity investor and they would come back to me and say... Alex, I 100% know how our business makes money. I 100% know how profitable. So what? how would you explain what you mean by seeing that no private equity firm, no portfolio company has a full picture of this? That they, What's that full picture mean? And what's that full understanding that they would have to have? I suppose, what does success look like in that instance?
1: Yeah, I mean, the litmus test is, let's ask the private equity operating partner to send a simple email to the CFO or to the CEO of the portco and ask them this, what 10 customers or products have you restructured over the last 12 months because they were not profitable enough? And how much EBITDA has that resulted in? And, And the test is not as so much to whether you get an answer or not. The test is how quickly you get an answer. And what you will find behind the scenes at, at a lot of port calls, almost every port call that I have uh, seen has very lean teams uh, in, in finance, uh, overstretched quite often, very lean teams, even on the commercial side. And then to make things worse, the answer to these questions requires these multiple stakeholders across commercial, across finance, across operations. Really come together and have a, a single view of the truth. And the reality is, companies, the for the vast majority of companies, and I'm yet to see one, by the way, uh, but the vast majority of companies do not have a repeatable process where they report on the profit at the level of customer, product, territory, salesperson, so on and so forth. So... Because that is not part of the cadence, the existing reporting, the existing culture of the company, everything becomes a bespoke sort of initiative. And that's where you see a lot of noise, a lot of lost efficiency, a lot of lost organization time, not just from the portco, but also equally important from the private equity operating team. The amount of time uh, that I have seen junior folks, particularly in private equity operating teams, spend to just get their arms around the data. Short of taking the decisions at the end that, that lead to profitable growth is, is just uh, criminal. So I think, in general, private equity have built up a real good sense across multiple port calls and by speaking with the portco management of how the business is built, what the key value drivers are, but the reality is very different in terms of the data that really exists in the company around profit.
0: Okay, so if the business has an understanding how profitable their customers are, how profitable their salespeople internally are, how profitable their products are, what actions should they then be taking when they have this knowledge in order to make it more profitable and to bring an obviously increase overall EBITDA? Yeah, the
1: two actions, quite simply, in two buckets. Uh, the first bucket is you think about your uh, profitable growth. And the reason growth has a prefix of, of profitable is so that you can hopefully identify your most profitable segments, pockets, within the business, whatever they might be, and double down on them, right? It, it sounds really... Uh, intuitive. It sounds uh, so simple. And yet, when you think about the data that powers all of that, it, it's uh, extremely lacking. So that's the first bucket, is doubling down, being able to double down on, on the most profitable pockets of your business. And, and the second bucket is restructuring, realigning, uh, and optimizing pockets of your business that uh, are not uh, as profitable. Right. So broadly you have those buckets, but uh, the ability to have data to slice and dice by uh, different dimensions, as, as I pointed out, is very rare. And it gives you an enormous superpower, right? That not just uh, enables the, the decision making and the design around pursuing profitable
0: growth, but it, it really helps you get the job done ultimately so that's what i would say okay so we've got the the profitability understanding we can then obviously begin to to change that now the way that you're communicating i'm thinking now of the searches i've completed for different portfolio company executives sounds a lot like if i think about who do i know that will know how profitable their different product lines is if it's a turnaround business now i know your response from the media will be well that's not just folks on turnaround business. But is that the kind of level of detail that you're going into is when you've got a business that is heavily distressed, you would be looking at each element of that organization. But you're doing it in a business that is, well, obviously potentially distressed, but also heavily profitable and is doing well to eke more of that profitability and understand it. Is that the kind of methodology? Am I right about thinking, kind of thinking along those lines?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's really applicable across all businesses, right? Because it, it, the, when you look at averages, When you look at a business unit uh, at a a high level, 50,000-foot level, when you look at a product line at a a high level, or a geography, there's a lot that is hidden underneath the covers. So the the bottom line is, by applying this methodology to really understand what drives profitability at the atomic level, at the granular level, you get a superpower and you get an understanding that belies reality at an aggregated level. For example, you may have, by all means, you may have a business unit that has a 30% gross margin, extremely profitable part of your uh, overall portfolio company. But within that business unit, there may be pockets uh, of uh, uh, suboptimal profitability. Right? Can you figure that out? And can you surgically take action Right? Are you primed to take action at that level? That's really where the rubber meets the road. That's if you think about where most operators, so it's a commercial team, sales team, your your uh, operating team, manufacturing folks, your uh, financial folks, that's the world that they live in, is that concrete, granular level. And that's where you can take action. and that's where most companies are really missing. Uh, the key
0: ingredients to enable that action. Sorry to interrupt here. Just a quick note to highlight our new sponsor, Grata. The private equity market is rapidly shifted to a data-driven proprietary deal sourcing standard. Grata provides the window into over 7 million middle market private companies. Contact Grata so you can access the market first. Request a demo at Now back to the podcast. So how does a firm go about getting this data? Because it's great saying, this is what you need. But I know if mm-hmm. I'm looking at... I'm even thinking about my business. We're an executive search firm. How profitable is client? I've got no idea. How profitable is each of the product services that we offer? I don't know. And I'm going to guess if a private equity investor is candid and even an executive is candid, they're probably going to answer similar questions. But we know what the overall profitability of the business. We know what we serve. We know what we do. So where do we start by which data point do we start with? Where do you recommend with that? And also, how how do we get this data? How do we work out how profitable a client is? How do we, where do we, which one do we start with? Do we start with the client? Do we start with the product? Do we start with the, the internal team? What's your recommendations?
1: Yeah, uh, that's a great question. So I think uh, broadly, uh, first of all, the the starting place is usually around ERP transactional data. So. Most portfolio companies have some shape or form of an ERP. It might not be a full-blown SAP or Oracle or what have you, but they have some where that the order to cash, the order-level data, the invoice-level data resides. Right. So that's where we typically recommend companies start. A lot of companies that we work with have multiple systems that this data may be housed in, uh, fragmented, you know, in multiple places. So the second most important step is to get this data in, in an apples-to-apples format to, to make sure you have a single source of the truth. You know, when you talk about product lines, that you have uh, one consistent set of products. When you talk about customers, you have one consistent set of names for your customers. It sounds trite and trivial, but noise in this data that prevents you from having a single source of truth becomes a, a huge barrier into uh, to decision-making. So that's step two. And step three, or, or principle three, is do what you can. Keep it simple uh, because perfection is the enemy of the good, right? And and the only reason we do what we do from a data perspective is ultimately to drive evil done. So to drive incrementally bit up. So if you keep that, if you keep that mission always front and center, then the third and probably most important principle is don't get caught up too much in the weeds, right? You start in the weeds, you make sure you have a single source of truth, but then you do the simplest things needed with that data to uh, surface insights. And most importantly, surface actions. So that's, uh, those are uh, kind of the three things. And I actually have an acronym called TAU. T-A-U. That's probably easier to remember. And T stands for transparency. a stands for accountability. And U stands for urgency. And, and you think of these three steps broadly as a recipe for how private equity-owned companies can go about getting their data house in order to support profitable growth. So just quickly clicking on T, so transparency, it really is around that whole data piece, single source of truth, right? Get data to be good enough that your commercial team, your financial team, your operating team, stop talking about how bad the data is and go to the next step, right? So it's good enough to move to the next step. And talk about insights and action. A for accountability. This has multiple facets, but you know, I'd say the two most important things are incentives. So getting the incentives aligned so that you can empower your team uh, and you don't have to be a centrally hierarchically driven organization, but people can make decisions in the field um, because they have the right incentives. Uh, and the second piece of accountability is just quite simply having a way to track the actions that are taking place it could be as simple as a spreadsheet tracking the actions but we of course have a product that supports that through through software and urgency is keeping it keeping this initiative of uh, profitable growth at the atomic level and and the actions front and center in the organization. And the way you do that is by embedding this initiative into the very fabric of your monthly and quarterly cycles. So rather than it uh, be a, a separate, standalone, sort of orphan initiative that, that people give lip service to, you're really embedding it into the cadence of your weekly, monthly, quarterly cycles.
0: When are you seeing? private equity firms implement this into your clientele? Is this a couple of years before exit? Is this right at the beginning? Is it quite varied?
1: Yeah, I think that therein lies a huge opportunity and probably a little bit of a miss. So if I were to say, when should a private equity firm think about this whole data landscape? Mm -hmm. My recommendation would be the first 90 days post-acquisition. So is it done in the first 90 days? Very rarely. So if you think about your typical post-merger or post-acquisition work streams that uh, private equity firms implement, you will typically have an IT work stream. Typically, you you might have a finance and accounting work stream. Neither of those work streams really truly address data as a sort of work stream, as a theme in of itself. Part of the reason is that data really doesn't have a, a clear ownership. Data is one of those funny things that is cross-owned within the company. If you think about sales data, transactional data, who is the owner? Is it is it the CFO and the finance team that owns it? Is it the commercial team that should be most familiar with the sales, transactional data, order-level data? The, the ownership of data and data as its own theme is quite often missing. So I firmly believe that there's a huge opportunity for a private equity firm to, to be best to breed by having data integration as its own work stream in the first 90 days. Quite often, I have been brought in or previous clients, Alvers and Marcel has been brought in when things were bad. Plan A has failed. The profitability is declining quarter over quarter. Uh, and we certainly can make an impact. But for best of breed, I think there's a huge opportunity to be ahead of the eight. eight ball, do it really in the first 90 days. And, and the impact is tremendous. Uh, again, going back to operating teams, you would think operating teams are really focused on strategy, focused on uh, the actions and, and then facilitating those at the portfolio companies, it, it is criminal how much time some of the operating teams spend just wrestling with the data. And so I think that can be avoided if
0: this is part of the first 90-day process. So what other results, I don't expect you to give us specific case studies and confidential information, but how much has this impacted profitability? How much have you seen EBITDA just from these initiatives drive increases? Because I suppose that's going to be the main the main interest level from a private equity perspective. Because if you can implement this, you're already driving EBITDA in your first 90 days, then you're fairly happy to say the least. So what have you seen as a result basis of some of the changes you brought in and EBITDA numbers that have increased on the basis of that? So I would say I have worked
1: with probably 23, 24 companies on these types of data-driven transformations, the average upside, not from cost uh, reduction, but from margin improvement, you know, through this type of data-driven approach, is around five and a half percentage points of revenue. In my experience, in my work, I would take a a specific example where I worked uh, a couple of years ago with a, Middle markets, about $500 million in in top-line. Uh, global company in the chemical and minerals space. Uh, again, a company that had multiple bolt-on acquisitions, so multiple data sets. So we worked with them to really create a single source of truth. We worked with them to get the data to be good enough. And then we uh, made sure that they had the internal stakeholders aligned to take take on the leadership internally, they were able to generate uh, 9 percentage points of revenue in upside. And they were able to do that in in a time frame straddling the pandemic period where you were seeing a lot of other companies struggle to just stay afloat, struggle uh, with pricing, struggle with so many other issues. Our client was able to really leverage that data that knowledge of what drives really profitability across their business at the atomic level and they were able to make some tough decisions around pricing so they ended up trimming some of their volume overall but they ended up having a massive increase in, in incremental EBITDA and being so well positioned through the downturn that they were able to acquire a company twice their size and have a phenomenal exit so so again, the, the superpower of really the, what this knowledge brings you, the leverage that it brings you is really the reason why I think it, it can be so powerful.
0: Preston, thank you very much for, for sharing that. What do you love about private equity and what do you just like about it? Yeah, um, I mean, the reason
1: I stayed with private equity at Alvarez and Marcel, I was part of the private equity performance improvement group. It it really two things I think that really speak to speak to me about private equity are one bias for action, so call it results orientation. Call it bias for action, and secondly data driven. Right, and all companies in the world, if you pick up the annual report of pretty much any Fortune five hundred company, or for that matter, any publicly listed company, everybody. Claims to be results oriented. Everybody claims to be data driven. But private equity really is the embodiment across both those things. If you think about both those dimensions of, of really truly living that uh, mantra. So that would be it for me. What do you dislike about it? I think uh, look, pri- private equity, like many other facets of, um, of business, private equity is not perfect. I think going back to My earlier uh, answer to your question about what advice I got was long-term, and sometimes private equity holding periods can lead to short-term thinking. We all know that. We understand the constraints that we live within from a private equity LP and GP world. But I would think probably that's the one thing that, you know, sometimes decisions are made that could have been different from a long-term perspective.
0: I agree with that. Definitely long-term thinking. Mm-hmm. So what are your influences? What do you read? What do you watch? What do you listen to that you would recommend that others check out, please?
1: Yeah. Look, uh, my, I'm wish I could say I'm an avid reader, but I'm probably a more avid listener. So tend to consume content in the audio form the most, whether it's a, a podcast, but mostly audio books. I'd say probably the one book that has really stuck with me uh, all these years is a book called Outsiders. The book, I I can't remember the name of the author, but the book is essentially a case study around eight CEOs of companies that are not always talked about as the embodiment of the best CEOs or the most successful CEOs. When you you think of successful CEOs, people talk about Jack Welch and the likes and i think the book was a counterpoint to that whole sort of what the public narrative about what makes a successful ceo uh, and a case study about eight very interesting companies and their eight typical ceos and the kinds of things and patterns of behavior that they had in common that led to outsized returns i think if I remember correctly, they outperformed the s and p five hundred across their tenure by twenty times. And that kind of outperformance is is re- remarkable. And the book really uh, explores and is a sort of investigative study going behind the scenes uh, for those eight companies. That I think is a is, I would say, must read, uh, particularly for uh, private equity. Uh, Operating teams. Some of the lessons, by the way, that we have taken as part of the creation of peak margins. And then I would say uh, I'm a big fan of uh, behavioral psychology. I'm a big fan of this whole area of study uh, around habit formation, right? I mean, if you think about cultures inside companies, culture is is a big word, but often becomes a fuzzy, fuzzy word that the blind man and the elephant, everybody describes culture differently. My definition of culture is really a collection of behaviors and actions that become a pattern inside the company. I mean, it's a very concrete way to think about culture. And I think at the heart of it is certain habits, behavioral habits, uh, certain patterns, Uh, that you see inside companies and so the the science behind what creates good habits as an individual but uh, also as a company that is intrigues me quite a bit
0: interesting and if anybody wishes to reach out to you post this podcast how best do they get in touch with you please
1: yeah email is uh, probably the the best way to get in touch with me uh my, my email for your listeners is p as in Peter, g as in George, at petemargins.com. So hopefully not too difficult to remember.
0: Perfect. Now we'll put that in the show notes as well. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. I really appreciate your insight. Really appreciate the consideration around driving EBITDA numbers. Mistakes of private equity firms are certainly overlooking based on the work that you've been done. And it gives us every private equity firm some actions to take in order to drive those those EBITDA, which is absolutely what they're looking to do. So thank you very much for sharing all that you have.
1: Thank you, Alex, for uh, inviting me. And uh, it was a pleasure.
0: Absolutely. Pleasure's all ours. As always, thank you very much for everybody joining and listening in today. Should you ever need support with your private equity professional or portfolio executive hiring, please do reach out to us at your selection. If you've not already, please do subscribe to the podcast and you will be notified the next one that comes out every two weeks. Until the next time, Keep smashing it. And thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening to the Private Equity Podcast on www.raw-selection.com.